Here we go, Monday night. Getting back in the saddle. It's time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira in studio. We're always happy to have you. I know you had to rush back yesterday. We'll talk about that. But you're excited for the show to the point that you're having literal nightmares about it. I had a four and a half to five hour drive back from Jacksonville from the Players Championship yesterday when I saw Scotty Scheffler just... I mean, you talk about chess and checkers. Like, everyone else was playing checkers, whatever, <laughs> checkers, and he's playing, or whatever you want to say, whatever he was doing was amazing. So much better than everyone else. Tiger Woods-like, I'm going to say, in that to- tournament. Driving back, listen to the college uh, basketball, NCAA, listen to people, everything like that. And I'm like, all these things to talk about. And then the NFL and the quarterback signings. And I literally had a nightmare last night that you had to drag me out of the studio. Like the people came in and dragged me out because I'm like, we have too much to talk about. We can't fit it at all within our hour. I'm sure we will uh, find a way to make it work as best as we can. Where have you been, Ira? Um, the, this player's hat you got is fantastic, by the way. I love the color blue that they went. So make sure you check out Ira on social media at Ira on Sports. But pretty busy week for you. Not the craziest, but you had some fun. Two days, I saw the I saw Miami Marlins versus Israel, and I saw the Washington Nationals versus Israel. So I saw two of the spring training games, and then drove up to the players for Sunday. I had to. I could not miss that for Sunday. So I was there. I don't know, 10 hours yesterday. Pretty exciting stuff. Yes. And that, like you said, Scotty Scheffler put on a little bit of a clinic. You're really excited about our guest tonight. His name is James Young. He's going to join us about 7.35. Tell us about James. James has been a coach in basketball for many years. I listened to about 20 people to break down the brackets yesterday on my ride home. Five-hour ride. So I'm listening to all these. Uh, he comes on in the middle of the ride. I don't know if I was in Canaveral or Daytona or whatever. <laughs> full of energy. I was like, he's like, you better listen to me because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And I was like, I'm like trying to write down when I'm driving both <laughs> the side of the road. Like, I'm like, I have to get this guy on. So I had to go search around. He's from sportsgrid.com and phenomenal. I mean, I, as I said, I listened to, this is Jay Wright. I listened to all these guys talk about break this down. He was by far the best breakdown of this tournament. I, I'm building him up, but he's great. Yeah, checking him out on Twitter at Coach Young NJ. Guy's life is basketball. He said he could do WNBA if we need to. So yes. we have an affiliate for that as, as well <laughs> down the line. Like I said, at Ira on Sports, anywhere uh, across social media, you can keep up with Ira's travels. Had some great pictures and videos from the players. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but let's start right here with the NFL and our Miami Dolphins. I think if you're a Dolphins fan today, Ira, you got to be pretty excited about some of the decisions that they've been making and some of the acquisitions that they've done so far. Because you like to see, you wanna, if you're betting, you want to see all in. You want to see the people put those chips and put them into the middle in the pot. That's exactly what they're doing. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, where's that coming Nobody from? Saw that coming. So Jalen Ramsey, forget, he's been a six-time six time pro bowler. He was last year ranked the third best quarterback in the NFL. He was at Jacksonville for all those years, forced himself out. What did they have to give the Rams trade? Two first-round picks. Two first-rounds, and the Dolphins got him for a third-round pick. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, right? And he's coming into Vic Fangio, who's going to work with him great with the defense. Remember, Vic Fangio is the greatest defensive mind out there, alive almost. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to be the defensive coordinator using Jalen Ramsey. This is just purpose. Xavier Howard. They're going to be—I mean, he had, he had like eight interceptions the last two years. The, the, it's tremendous. It's so exciting for the Dolphins to get Ramsey. And it's just like—it seems like every year they got Tyree Kill last year. Now they get Jalen Ramsey's. Who? What else is going to happen? Yeah, back when Byron Jones was healthy, they had arguably the best cornerback duo in the league with him and Xavier Howard. Byron Jones can't stay on the field. Jalen Ramsey's had no issues with you know health wise. So this looks yeah like you said this is going all in. This is going to be. I would say the defense was a weak spot for that team last year. After being so good for years, Vic Fangio, Jalen Ramsey, this team's ready to win. Yeah, and also the Dolphins shut down all that talk about Tom Brady because quietly, and this is what no one's been talking about, they guaranteed the fifth-year option of 2024. 
for for Tua for 23 million. Now understand this: this summer, J Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert all going to sign long-term zillion-dollar-year deals. They're not giving that to Tua. No one expects that ever was going to happen. But the fact that they guaranteed that fifth year, the only quarterback also is Jordan Love for the Packers. So what the Giants did, they didn't guarantee. That's the reason yes. Daniel Jones was a free agent and signed it. The, the Dolphins are like, okay, let's just, this is sort of a hedge. We're going to guarantee him for 22 because we don't want to have to pay a $160 million contract or whatever in two years. Now, of course, if Tua can't stay healthy, I heard he's doing like judo and all this trying to protect his head when he falls and learn how to fall, all those things. I mean, everything depends on Tua. This entire, well, they cannot have Skylar Thompson as their quarterback in the playoffs. It's imperative. But they brought in Mike, Mike White. Mike White, the Jets' <laughs> favorite, you know, who people love as their backup. So He's I a folk hero in New York. <laughs> yes, and I think that's exciting, and I think it. I think that. I think that it's different than Bridgewater was last year in terms of uh, so a young quarterback like Mike White, and and with the, you know he had some amazing games there for the Jets last year. No, it, it's a great insurance policy. Didn't I think it's up to sixteen million with um, with perks and bonuses. So maybe it's you know if he starts twelve games a year, or something like that, his contract gets bumped up, but it's not costing them too much to back up their franchise quarterback in Tua. You got to love uh, what the Dolphins are doing. We said it last week. Derek Carr to the NFC South just made too much sense. He's automatically the best quarterback there, and he landed with the Saints. Well, you know, that press conference he gave this weekend, just he is a pro's pro. He comes into that press conference, oh, he's going to bash the Raiders. And everything nice about the Raiders. Love my time there. They gave me this opportunity. Why criticize them? Nothing like that. I'm here in New Orleans. I love this team. Every single defensive player called me. They wanted me to come here. I felt loved to come here. I, have, I love this town. I've always loved New Orleans. Everything. He's like the politician of all politicians. I mean, great. He said all the right things. I, I think it's fantastic. Four-year, $150 million deal, $100 million guaranteed. It's almost exactly what Daniel Jones got. I'd much prefer to have Derek Carr than Daniel Jones as my quarterback. So I'm, I'm, he's only 32 years old. It's not like Derek Carr. Aaron Rodgers is 40. Derek Carr is yeah. 32 years old. I love it. He's, the division is his if he wants and, it. And we talked about it, too. The dysfunction around that franchise has been ridiculous since he's got there. Since he was drafted, the Raiders have been a joke. The Saints are an established, well-run franchise. There's no reason that this team shouldn't win 11 games next year, considering the, the opponents that they're going to be playing. Came out earlier today. Jimmy G found his landing spot, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be with the uh, Raiders and taking over for Derek Carr. <laughs> the carousel just keeps moving, and Jimmy G got now only three years, sixty-seven million, thirty-four million guaranteed. He's thirty-one. I, I, people think that Jimmy G is like seems like younger, but he's he's only he is thirty-one years old. Uh, he remember he was the second round pick. The Patriots for he was there for three and a half years, then traded to San Francisco, um, and and his forty and seventeen record as a starter. That's what he says. You know, that's the great thing about. Him. But he gets injured every single. He's, he makes Anthony Davis look adorable. So uh, the point is, I, I wouldn't expect Jimmy G is going to be staying. If he stays healthy for 17 games, I'd be shocked. But the Raiders, Josh McDaniels, he had worked with yeah, him when he was at him. the Patriots. Yeah, he worked with him at the Patriots. That's who he wanted. This is what he wanted. He was tired as as much as we like Derek Carr. Josh McDaniels didn't like Derek Carr. So this is what he got, and this is where Jimmy G is, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, speaking of people drafted by New England, Jared Stidham, same thing, was drafted by New England, worked with McDaniels, went to be the backup in in uh, Vegas. Now he's heading to the Broncos to back up Russell Wilson. <laughs> These backup moves are very interesting because for Sean Payton to say that he likes, remember I said last year I saw Stidham play and you saw him at the end of the year in that one preseason game. He looked amazing. Like, I think this is a player that he's a little Geno Smith. Like, I think that <laughs> there could be a time where if Russell Wilson just, you know, is terrible, Sean Payton's going to say, Russell, you're benched. I'm bringing him Jarrett Stidham to be the quarterback. So I, I thought that was a, is a sneaky move when I first saw that. I'm like, wow, that's surprising. But 
maybe it's because I follow a lot of New York media and stuff like that, but I don't know if I've ever heard of a contract as uh, controversial as Daniel Jones getting locked up. Well, I mean, considering that his touchdown interception ratio last three years are 11 and 10, 10 and 7, and 15 5. He's 21, his record over four years. We talked about Jimmy G's record at 40 and 17. His record is 21, 31, and 3. Now, you could say, oh, he doesn't have this, doesn't have this, doesn't have that. But to give someone 92 million guaranteed, I think it's insane. But it was, he got it. But I just think, boy, the Giants, this, if this does not work out, if he's bad, he's, it's, it's, it's going to be a terrible contract. They'll never be able to get rid of this. Yeah. Well, yeah, nobody's going to take this on. I, I think I, I was, more shocked at seeing a lot of players come out and say how bad how bad of a deal this was. Usually the players are like rooting for other players to make money. He's getting bashed by people on other teams. Like, what are you guys doing in New York? It's, it's kind of disappointing to see. But regardless, I'm a Giants fan. He's going to be our boy now for the foreseeable future. Hopefully we can get some wins. Geno Smith gets a contract as well. And this is an interesting situation because Geno Smith was basically out of the league a year ago. And he was fighting Drew Locke for this starting job. Now he's going to be the, the uh, Seahawks quarterback going forward. Remember, Geno Smith got lost a year because he got beat up in his locker room by one of his teammates when he was yeah. on the Jets. It was, was literally a backup for how many years. Comes back. And uh, I mean, remember, he was a starter his second year. He was benched to surgery for the fight. Towards ACL his fourth year. Then played for the Giants, Chargers, and Seahawks. In seven years, he had five total stars. Now he comes back. I mean, you talk about a comeback player of the year. This, this, the award should be named after Geno Smith. <laughs> but I like what the, what the move was because it's short term and it allows them to think that they might draft somebody. It seems like it makes a lot of sense. He played really well last year, had 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 4,200 yards. I think it was a great move for them. And uh, they then they brought in. Uh, oh, so go ahead. Continue. Well, I was going to say, you, you mentioned bringing in someone. When does Seattle ever pick in the top five? You know, this is not normal for their franchise. I wouldn't be shocked if they if they draft, you know, Anthony Richardson or something like that, a project quarterback that they can let sit behind Geno for two years. Geno's an adult in the room. He can mentor him. I think it, if I were Geno, I wouldn't want that. You'd grab me an offensive piece or, you know, someone on the defensive side of the ball. But regardless, this looks like a, a win for Seattle either way. Yeah, smart move. Smart move. Sam Darnold going to the 49ers. It, at this point, we were talking off air. Just bring in nine quarterbacks and hope that you have someone healthy come the NFC Championship game, which they'll probably be in. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the point is that we watched that championship game and Josh Johnson was the quarterback and the 49ers might have beat the Eagles if they had a quarterback. Now they have Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, uh, Sam Darnold, one of them. But I think this is a great place for Sam to go in because these other, everyone seems to get injured and Sam has actually been fairly durable. So maybe he'll just be by process of elimination, be the quarterback for the San Francisco Niners. I mean, is it so crazy to assume that he's going to be the quarterback in the Super Bowl next year, if no. they, but, but, potentially. So I thought that was, we talked about this, they needed to have enough quarterbacks, and that was, I thought it was a good sign, a smart move for Sam to go there. It's 714, this is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel, uh, Mike Balsamo. At 735, James Young is going to join us, break down your bracket, hopefully you can uh, cash in on that this year. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. And this, to me, was the, was the ultimate Ravens, like, put up or shut up move. Like, we're putting you on the non-exclusive, um, non-exclusive tag. Someone else can sign him. Nobody has yet. And, you know, rumors are coming out. Teams are saying, like, openly saying, we don't want him. We're not making a move for you. 
Well, it's, it was all about money. He wanted to guarantee the five-year, $250 million Deshaun Watson money. It seemed like they were guaranteeing $150 million. There was that issue. And finally, they said, we're going to franchise tag him. Now, remember, there was only five players. Well, actually, six. But right now, there's only five players that were franchise tags this year. Three were running backs, Barkley, Jacobs, and Pollard, and Evan Ingram, the tight end for the Jaguars, and Lamar Jackson. But he can sign. And somebody, for just two first-round draft picks, that's it. Two first-round draft picks can sign Lamar Jackson, sign him a contract. Now, the Ravens have a chance to match it. But... Um, it just shows that I think the Ravens said, we know the market better than you know the market. Remember, he doesn't have an agent. His mom, <laughs> his grandmother, his uncle, whatever, everyone's working with him. He doesn't have an agent. So he misread this market, I think. And eventually, I do think he's going to have to go back to the Ravens. I thought the only team I see out there is the Falcons. I think the Falcons are so, but the Falcons are the first team that said, we're not interested. Yeah. We're not interested. But maybe. But it just seems to be that, boy, the, the Ravens actually read this market. Like, okay, if we're going to get a better deal, otherwise we're going to pay you. Th they don't even have to pay him the big money. They pay him $32 million next year. Mm -hmm. So. There's only been one player that sat out a whole year, Levy and Bell, and that did not work out well for him yeah, at the all. Precedent's <laughs> not good for sitting no. out uh, after the franchise tag. The soap opera continues. Aaron Rodgers still not signed. Rumors are that the the deal's in place. The Packers and Jets have agreed to terms. Aaron Rodgers has to okay this deal now, and he's a head case, so good luck. I'm telling you what, the whole carousel has moved. We have all the quarterbacks set. You know, I'm like, what are we going to lead this show with? I go, we have to lead with this because it's the NFL quarterbacks. Everything was signing, and it's just left to Aaron Rodgers. Really, because I think Lamar Jackson, it seems like it's either, I just think he's, he's going back to the Ravens. Yeah. yeah, and he's also under, he's, you know, on franchise tag. But it seems like, what is Aaron Rodgers going to do? And it's just every, the people's shows are devoted to an hour, to two hours, to Aaron Rodgers. And he goes on the weirdest podcast and all the stuff talking about it but whether he wants to go the yeah the deal is in place when we go to the Jets he has to make his decision and if you're the Packers were hilarious though I like Mike McCarthy of the Mike McCarthy uh, uh Michael Mur Murphy the CEO of the Packers were like we love Aaron he's great uh just I hope he goes somewhere else if he comes back here you know he's once but we really want him to go like they really the Packers <laughs> are over. we're over this like <laughs> please leave like this is just get out of here and uh, we want Jordan Love to be a quarterback so we'll see I if we're still talking about this next week and he hasn't made a decision then it's like oh come on like but um you know at this point i don't know and he's gonna go to tampa bay and tom brady's <laughs> gonna go to green bay to be the quarterback who knows but that's uh that was this aaron Rodgers is the last domino to fall the, the new york media is loving this though because they put out an article like every 20 minutes today i saw um will aaron Rodgers vaccination status you know it's owned by woody johnson of johnson and johnson is his vaccination status gonna hold him back the johnsons <laughs> don't want it's like they're just churning up content on this aaron Rodgers thing it would be interesting, though, if Jordan Love works out, because this is exactly what happened with Aaron Rodgers and, and Brett Favre. You know, sat for three or four years, didn't leave on good terms necessarily. They wanted him out to bring in someone else. If Jordan Love goes on to have a Pro Bowl career, it's kind of like deja vu with you know him going to the Jets. Well, as well. they're happy. The stories out of Green Bay was after the first two years, they're like, we made a mistake. But they said after last year, they felt he was going to a new quarterback coach. Um, supposedly, he's been in constant contact with LaFleur, like by the hour, showing every workout that he's doing. They're running like he's a team player. He wants all the wide receivers to come to his house and play. Like it's the, the, the anti the Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? I, and I, Green Bay, I'll give them this. They, Last year, they did this deal. They never thought they'd be in this situation because Aaron Rodgers said, I want I want to work with you guys. I want to be in the meetings. I want to talk. I want to this. And he just totally checked out. And it's like, we gave you all this money. We gave you this guaranteed $100 million contract. We wanted you to be part of it. That's what you wanted. And he doesn't want it. And it just seems like whatever you give him, now it's like, please, let, let him be someone else's problem. Do you think he'll be successful with the Jets? A lot of Jet fans, I know, think that it's Super Bowl time if Aaron Rodgers gets there. I, I don't see it. He was... 
mediocre at best last year. I know the Jets have some good young players, but he's not going to work with them or put in the effort. I, I can see them maybe making the playoffs, but this is like a nine-win team to me with Aaron Rodgers. I think the sideshow, I don't, I, you know, I want to see, I, I don't know. It's it's one of these things I've been thinking and thinking, I, I'm not sure. I, I do think he's, I still think he's a lot left in his tank. I think his arm is great. And, but, you know, Garrett, everyone says, oh, we have Garrett Wilson. Well, Garrett Wilson's only in his second year. Like, he is young. The offense is young, and he has proven time and time. Now, they'll have to bring veterans in for him. So, I'm, I, I think it's still 50-50. So let's talk about um, no quarterback. Who's in this situation? Fortunately, a couple of them pick right at the top of the draft. But this could be a situation where we see four quarterbacks going for the first five or six picks. Well, that's the big thing that happened. The Chicago Bears traded their first-round pick. They said, we're in on Great Justin Fields. We like Justin Fields. You love this pick. The first the moment you had it, you're texting me. My phone's going crazy. You <laughs> think it's the greatest thing? Because they got they all they did was they moved back eight picks. They got a first pick in the 2024, second in 2025, and they got DJ Moore, who cost me my entire fantasy season, which, which is a disaster. Which, I mean, it was like it was almost like rubbing the salt on the wound with DJ Moore, his name keeps coming up, and uh, and the Bears said we're going with Fields, but then if you look at the draft, Carolina's like, we are tired of having every single backup in the quarterback, we're tired in the NFL, we want to have, but they wouldn't say which one they want, I think they're going with CJ Stroud, just my personal opinion, I think they Really, I think him. it's going to be Bryce. You think Bryce Young, so whatever they go with, Houston's second, they're going to take the other one, and then you have Arizona already as a quarterback, which you think that their Arizona would go back. And they back. need defensive help, man. They need it, but they might just go back, and then Indianapolis will draft a quarterback, so they'll draft Levis Richardson, and then Seattle, we think, drafts Richardson. So I think, I really think at four of the five quarter, those quarterbacks will be, and as I've said time and time again, Hendon Hooker is the steal of the draft, and whoever drafts him in the end of the first round, that's going to be the best quarterback in the draft. But uh, I, that's what, so you look, Carolina, Houston, Indy, and, you know, Seattle, and then no Q, QB, Atlanta has Desmond Ritter, Tampa Bay, Kyle Trask Kyle is Trask. the quarterback, <laughs> Washington has Sam Howe and Taylor Haneke, Haneke, and if the Jets don't get a quarterback, who knows what's going to happen. Tampa's an interesting situation situation because what are they going to do? I mean, they, they went out and signed Jamel Dean today to, to a nice deal. They've got a lot of high-priced players that are veterans that want to win now. You can't start Kyle Trask. No, but they're talking Baker Mayfield, too. But they'll throw out every name now. It's a, but Ben Rotzenberger will be a name for them, too. <laughs> this is probably going to come up. Or Phillip Rivers. I do love the trade for the Bears. DJ Moore is essentially getting another first-round pick. He, he's that good of a receiver if Justin Fields can get him the ball. And moving back to pick nine, if four quarterbacks go, you're still getting a top five defensive guy here. Or, you know, with offense, but it's probably going to be defensive. I think the Bears knocked it out of the park with this and then signed Tremaine Edwards to Edmonds today from the from the Bills. I like the trajectory for the Bears. Well, it all depends on Justin Fields emerging as a quarterback. And, and like last year, he ran the ball. He showed he could run. If he improves his passing, I mean, Justin Fields should be practicing throwing the entire every day. If he can improve that, he can have a Jalen Hurts turnaround this year. Then, boy, the Bears... I don't know when was the last time the Bears were ever relevant, but this could be Devin the year. Hester was around. <laughs> and they are they moving. Relevant. They're going to build a new facility in Arlington. It's going to be an amazing stadium. It's going to be like a $3 billion stadium. So I think it's like we're, when they're ready to go, they'll play in that new stadium. 722, this is Ira on Sports. You're listening to the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, you can follow Ira across social media at Ira on Sports. Bud Grant is a very uh, special person in, in, in your heart, and I, I believe uh, we, you know, we lost him. Well, one of the greatest coaches of all time, he was with the Minnesota Vikings, and they went to the Super Bowl four times and lost. But if, if the Vikings, I think if they would have won a couple of the Super Bowls, when we talk about the Cowboys and the Steelers, the Vikings would have been at that level. You still see, when I was just super-duper young and coming up, my first paper I was in first grade was on Fran Tarkington, and <laughs> Bud Grant was his coach. But the Vikings were such an exciting team with Tarkington and Chuck Foreman, and they were just— they 
a great team, and they just ran into some great teams in the Super Bowl and lost, like the Buffalo Bills and, and Marv Levy. But he w- did win four Grey Cup titles. And I did like the fact that he was like 90-some years old, and they were playing at that target, that the football stadium for the, the Gophers play, and it was 120 below zero, some crazy number. And he runs out, he comes, not runs, he walks out on the field with that with like a polo shirt on. <laughs> and it just shows how tough he was. It's like, it's like I'm not wearing some big jacket or whatever. And it's like, you know, minus 20 or something with Joe. And he, everyone else is all bundled up. And he's just wearing a polo shirt like he's going to go play golf later. The, the uh, true Minnesota, in true Minnesota fashion, yes. not cold, not a phase by anything. Players' championship. I know that we love the Honda Classic here. You love golf in general to be a spectator, but I think the players is running away as your favorite. Oh, so I get there Sunday at 10 o'clock. Oh, I didn't. I got there late because I was coming from Orlando to watch the Duke game and all sorts of You pull up at a parking lot, and you, from the time I park my car, there's no line to park the car. The time you park the car and you go into the place, two minutes. Two minutes. I was at the Genesis of the Honda. That's like, you have to park your car. You have to go on a shuttle bus. You get another shuttle bus. You have to stand in line for security. It's like two hours. Like, if people, like, this is unbelievable. They have a zillion security lines. There was no wait for anybody to walk in. They have all, you just walk right in, and literally from the car, where I park my car, you can't go to the movie theater. That is faster than to go into the the Players' Championship. You walk right in there, and it is, the course is magnificent. Magnificent. Beautiful to walk. And to go walk the you know what I have a problem with golf is I'm trying to walk, follow everybody. It's impossible to follow because you can't get by the tee boxes and you can't see the greens and it's all hidden away. Everything is designed perfectly. You can follow anybody you want. It's, it, I, it have to, I use my stool one time in the whole day and, and then top it off the 17th hole. It's the most signature hole of all of golf. I sat there for three hours and you know, just watching that and it's just how it's framed and the beauty of that. Um, I, fighter jets are flying over because Jacksonville has a naval as an Air Force space right near there so it's pretty cool to look up and see Scotty Sheffer look up and see a fighter jets flying over um, plenty of food stands you have to wait you don't have to wait for any food or anything they actually had how about this this is crazy to make seem they had the NCAA games there and were during the selection show so you were at the tournament and you could watch like the SEC championship game while you're there at the golf it's like that we were gonna let you know oh Wi-Fi worked the entire time you're there I mean can I just say all the reasons what's so great about this tournament now I know it was designed they took all the land and made it easy for parking but it is a great tournament and I'll tell you nothing. The Jacksonville Jaguars are super popular. I'm saying the name wrong, I know. But the fact is that there, I know Trevor Lawrence was there a couple days, yes. but everyone was wearing Jaguar jerseys and teal, and it was pretty cool to see that. You can see the passion of this area because it's Puerto Verde is just south of Jacksonville, so it was pretty cool. So I, I absolutely love this course. It's beautiful. There's water. It's everything nice about it, and I could go and follow. And My pictures are amazing that I took. Yeah, I was going to say, check at Ira on Sports on social media because the pictures are great and like you said this course was designed to host tournaments you've walked Beth Page Black before that's like you're exhausted by the ninth hole right I mean this is the perfect layout yeah you can just go up to hole literally I, I will talk about my viewing patterns I could go and follow it was so easy to follow and it's so easy to it just it's perfect and I love the Honda but the Honda has some areas where you just you just you can't walk through it's just all bottled yeah. up but there's nothing like you look at areas they actually created paths like they thought about how are people going to follow this it was Perfect. I mean, Pete Dye designed the course, but I think whoever helped him with not just the course of the playing, but the course of the following and how to watch it, it's it is a must. It's 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 a it's a treasure, really. So this tournament, unfortunately, Ira has a little bit of a blemish on it, though. 
as the reigning champion wasn't playing in it. Reigning champion is not playing. 34 golfers who played last year uh, were now either in live weren't playing in this tournament. And I think that took away. I mean, they want to say they're the fifth major, but the, when I'm there at this tournament, and people who are there are all like, we hate live, we hate live, all that type of stuff. But it does add juice to the Masters, to the U.S. Open, to the. I mean, those are going to be the tours where everybody comes together. Yeah. Like that's where it's all going to come. And I think the players missing these people. I think it. You know, where there was no Dustin Johnson, no Brooks Koepka. No Patrick Reed, no Bryson DeChambeau, no Cameron Smith, the defending champion. All those extra people, and I think that look. You think Scotty Scheffler would have won with five strokes if someone was no? I think no. someone would have. I think someone would have caught him on that. But I think that's that did take away the juice from the tournament. So, looking, you know, following the first day. I'm looking at it thinking, man, this might shape up to be a really good tournament. There were some really big names doing well early on that ended up fading as the weekend went on. Well, first of all, John Rahm, who's number one in the world, withdraws with a stomach yes. illness. So he leaves. He had 25 consecutive cuts, which led the PGA, and he had to withdraw. Rory McIlroy, who was, of course, talking about live and this and this, he was terrible. 76 and a 73 plus five. Um, he was tied for 117th in driving accuracy. He hit only 13 to 28 fairways, and uh, he lost two and a half strokes to the field and putting. It's just amazing that he didn't you know, hit like 90s when you hear about these things. Um, Jordan Smith was on the cut line and he, he was almost he was, you know, out of the tournament, but on the ninth hole, they finished on nine the second day and he hit the ball and it hit a spectator. It was going in the water. It <laughs> hit a spectator and bounced into the fairway and he was able to eagle the hole. He were bogeying the break. hole to yeah. get an eagle on the hole. And uh, Dustin Thomas was on the cut line and he you know just barely made it and really didn't really make a run the entire time. I mean, I when you're, when you're on a Sunday watching it, it just Justin Thomas comes by at like 11 o'clock on the whole 17. You know he's not having a great tournament. So there are bigger names like that. The Rory, the Rom, and the Justin Thomas just didn't play well. And you were hoping one of them, you know, one of them at least would have challenged him. Uh, Tom Hoagie uh, had set the tournament record. It's Saturday. They made the, it was such an easy, everyone was shooting way low. Mm -hmm. and, and he shot a 62 on a Saturday, breaking the record that Norman, we always love what Greg Norman, Brooks Kepka, and uh, Dustin Johnson had uh, at 63. But uh, so it was, that's why on Sunday, I came there thinking that, okay, let's see what Scheffler has. He's a two-stroke lead on the Mimho League because he, he shot like a 65 or whatever on, mm -hmm. on, uh, on, on Saturday. And I was like excited to see like what's going to happen on Sunday is Scheffler, like who's going to make this run at Scheffler? So going into Sunday, not that I was rooting for, for Minwoo Lee. I was actually rooting for Max Homa who had a decent day but just wasn't enough. Minwoo Lee eagles the first hole. And then was just all downhill from there. He faded out of there faster than anyone, and just nobody could catch Scheffler. Yeah, my p viewing pattern, I said when I got there, I was like, you know what, I, I, you know I like to walk around. I'm like, I'm at 17. I stayed there for three hours, and I was right behind when they were doing like, I'm like watching yeah, it. There's nobody like there. was standing next to the guy. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the greatest view. So I just watched, I watched, I think, 15 groups go through and just watched everybody go through. I said, Jerry Kelly, 56 years old, the crowd went nuts when he was, was there, went through. I saw Justin Thomas hit the ball on the water, decide not to go to the drop zone, and just went and hit the same ball again from the same spot. Uh, Zella Torres was terrible, hitting the balls in the water. He shot a 77. And then, you know, you saw uh, Lowry came by, and then uh, uh, Alex Smalley hit a hole-in-one, which mm -hmm. was exciting. But they had three hole-in-one, yep. or aces, on 17. So it was exciting to watch that. And then I said, okay, I'm done doing that. 145 starts. So I go and I watch Fowler a little. I watch Spieth. You guys, Fowler wore orange, but just the top, not the, not the total orange, just the orange for the shirt and speed so I watched them at 789 and then I jumped back and picked up Scheffler at six but by then he was up now the way the tournament starts he he 
he he tied Scheffler. Wu tied Scheffler, so they were tied. And then after the third hole, but then Scheffler birdied, and then Wu had a triple bogey, and then it was like seemed like Scheffler was just cruising the entire time, way ahead. Uh, uh, Terrell Hatton finished when Scheffler was on the eighth hole, and Hatton had five straight birdies, and he was a 12 under, but Scheffler was like a 16, 17 under, and it wasn't just nothing. You're, at one point, it's like how could Scheffler lose this? And it was so funny when he and Wu Wu was must weigh 160 pounds, 70 pounds, but when they were driving, Scheffler was so far ahead. It was like they're playing different tees. Like it was like <laughs> Wu would get to his ball, and Scheffler would he couldn't even see Scheffler on some shots. It was the, he was now Wu was using irons and not even driving with Woods. But I was just shocked about. It. I mean, Scheffler is just a great golfer, and see, watch him play. Yeah, Scotty Scheffler is the kind of guy you can't dislike. He just seems so genuine, so so nice, and just like a, a great ambassador for the sport. So we're happy to see him win. Took home his biggest paycheck of his career. Yeah, I mean, he had what I liked about it is he didn't hit bad shots at all, even with the lead. And on 14, he had a bad shot. So what does he do? He just hits it back in the fairway. Doesn't do something stupid, trying to whatever. Played it smart, took a bogey on the hole. But that was it. I mean, that could have been a disaster. But he played smart the whole way. And then to finish 18 out with a par, that was great. His grandmother, who was 89 years old, walked every hole. And I saw her out there, which is amazing. She had a, a, a little thing to help her walk, a walker. But I mean, she was amazing. I, I couldn't believe that she was out there doing I saw her and I didn't realize it was his grandmother until someone said, that's Scotty Scheffler's grandma. And she was following along really well, like very impressed. He is such a down-to-earth of a golfer. Um, one other thing is he's big. He's big and tall. Like I, when, you're, tall. when you're in person and see him, it's like when you see Dustin Johnson in person, you're like, wow, this guy's big. You know who also is biggest? Cam Davis. Cam Davis looks like he should be a football player because I'm like, <laughs> he is just, I mean, some of these golfers are just, I mean, that's what I just noticed. I hadn't really followed Scheffler closely, but he's a tall, very tall, very strong guy. And uh, just, you know, just great. I mean, just is like, what are you going to do tonight? How are you going to celebrate? I'm going to go to my grandmother's and have dinner and stuff like that. And it just <laughs> seems like such a great guy. You know, that's, it's, it's, it's fun that he's, you know, we'll see if he can continue this up and see what happens. But consider this. How about this stat? Only Tiger, Jack, and Scheffler have, have all held the Players' Championship trophy and the Masters trophy at the same time. When you're with Tiger and Jack and you're in that category, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, in any category. But those two names, <laughs> you got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. About two minutes until we get to uh, James Young break down everything for your brackets. But you got a couple of uh, preseason games in, or, you know, exhibition games in uh, here in the basically uh, spring training capital of the world. Do you want to talk about that? I'm a little upset, though, because it's really the world. This is where the I'm challenged with the World Baseball Classic. I know you love it. And I, I it's do. got 40,000 people at Lone Depot. Like, I joke that there's probably seats in Lone Depot Park that are being used. that haven't <laughs> been used since, like, All-Star Game. How yeah. many years ago we were there? Like, you know, they get 40,000. The Marlins would go, like, a month before they get 40,000. <laughs> and then you see a chase field. They're packed in. And it's people exciting. And you mentioned about what about the ratings in Japan or something? They said that the uh, the rating, 4 million people watched Otani uh, play in his first game, whereas we're only getting like 500,000 viewers for, for World Series games. That's how big Otani is globally. It's, and it's crazy good for the game. It's a joke because America lost to Mexico the other night and because they can't use the pitchers in a certain way because they don't want to burn them out. And it is great and I'm going to watch the games. But it is, it does really take away because you're these teams now in spring training for the next last week and this week, there's nobody there on these games. But it was fun to watch Israel play and it is fun to see like these teams, there is that sense of pride. Like you could really see like Euclid and Kinsler are the manager for Israel mm -hmm. and just the whole enthusiasm and these are American players who play I mean the United States has 29 players in major uh, 29 major leaguers on the team Dominican Republic has 34 uh, Venezuela 26 uh, Puerto Rico 19 so you're seeing a lot of it but it does take away from 
and they're playing, I think, what is it? It is Thursday to Saturdays are the quarterfinals. Sunday and Monday are the semifinals. And then Tuesday, next Tuesday, which I would probably go down to, would be the finals in uh, in Lone Depot Park so that in Miami. So that would be exciting. Yeah, Max Scherzer came out today and said that he would love to play in this. He wants him to move it to after the season so he could play. He's like, I, I can't risk my arm, but I want to be out there representing America. Games like this, in the old days with Ruth and Gary, they used to go to Japan and play after the season. Now, remember, the World Series was over in September. They go over and they would play in Japan, you know, for those things. So, but uh, it, it, look, it's something that is intriguing. I wish, as I said, if you're a fan of the, the Yankees, I think the American fans are like, just don't get hurt. Just don't get hurt. I don't want to see any of these players. That's why some of the star pitchers like Verlander or Scherzer aren't playing in this. So. Uh, have you seen Yankees training camp? Nobody else needs to get hurt. It's bad to start already. <laughs> 7.35, this is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Time to bring in James Young. James, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Ira on Sports. Ira, good to be on with you. Uh, we got a lot of college basketball to talk, my friend. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And I'm saying last night I was driving home from the players, and I listened to about 15 people break down the tournament, and you came on, and I was like, that was like Red Bull and Monster and everything. So you have some strong opinions, a lot of enthusiasm. I'm like, I have to get James on my show. So let's just get jump into it. Uh, the first thing is the omissions. Are you upset that Oklahoma State, Rutgers, UNC, Clemson, like what's your opinion of whether, you know, about those teams? Like who do you feel should have got in that didn't get in? Well, I think that my, my issue was probably more Rutgers than anybody because if you look at the win that they had at Purdue, uh, you look at the fact that they had that questionable loss against Ohio State that should not have been marked against them. I understand they had some tough losses down the stretch. The loss of the buzzer at Minnesota – had a 20-point blowout loss at home versus Nebraska, which is a Nebraska team that played better down the stretch. But if you just looked at their quality of play in the, uh, you know, in the Big Ten, you you kind of be like, oh yeah, this 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 team played really really well. So to me, when you look at a team that got in like them, and then you look at a team like uh, let's say Nevada, you know, who got in like where 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 were their quad one wins? Like who, who who did they play? You know, I know I know. Sometimes you have to look at it and say, okay, well, this team doesn't have the I guess the opportunity to play uh, other teams uh, outside their league, and I think that's also what may have hurt Rutgers. Three hundred and forty-first, I do believe, Ira, in strength of schedule non-conference. I think Steve Peichel uh, learned his lesson with that. But to me, it was definitely, that was maybe the only omission that I was like, all right, that one with Rutgers, I don't understand. Clemson, they tailed off at the end. North Carolina, how they even were considered as one of the first four out is a, is a joke. They shouldn't have even been the second four, the third four, the fourth four out because they just were terrible all season. And you being down in ACC country, understand that. So I think that was the only omission that I thought was, was Rutgers, but everyone else I, I, I was kind of okay with. So we're talking to James Young as Sports Grid's basketball analysis. But can I just say one thing? Clemson was 3-0 and versus NC State. 3-0. and Both teams were 23-10. and I think right. the question is, if they took another team over NC State, you know, Clemson, it's one thing. But the fact that NC State got in, I think that's what bothers the Tigers. Now, mm-hmm. if they ever did this in the college football playoff, you're going to get a lot more yelling and screaming. But I think that's what the, the Clemson Tigers are a little upset about, that we beat this team three times, and how does NC State get in over us? And I think that that's the point. And I think that that's the other one. I think when it came down to like Rutgers, I think in my heart, um, I actually think 
uh, it was uh, the play of Penn State that probably knocked them out of the tournament. But if you look at Clemson, their body of work, four and four in quad one, three and two in quad two, seven and two quad three, nine and two in quad four. So that, that's, pre- that's pretty solid. And then you look at NC State, you know, as I, as I pull up uh, their schedule, one and six in quad one. So, yeah, th- th- that's the one that if you want to say ACC-wise, Clemson over NC State, I got it. I thought Rutgers should have been in over both of them uh, because when you look at Rutgers during the season, uh, they had, were 4-7 and seven in quad one, 6-3 and three in quad two. So they had more quad one wins, and their quad two schedule was pretty good, 6-3. and three. The problem with Rutgers is 2-4 and four in quad three. They had some bad losses, especially like I talked about, uh, at Minnesota and home by, I think, 15 to 20 versus Nebraska. Any seedings? I mean, I'm a Duke. I went to Duke Law, so my Duke friends are like, I can't believe Duke is a fifth seed. And I'm like, I don't care their fifth seed. I love their draw. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care about a seed. Just give me the teams that I like. I like who Duke's going to play. I like playing Oral Roberts. I like playing Tennessee. I don't care what seed they are. You're like, I think it's fine. But I think people, is there any seeds that you think are, wow, I can't believe this seeding. This is terrible. Yeah, you, know, you could maybe argue that Memphis should have been better than the eight seed. Let's be honest, folks. They lost by two when Shed hit that jumper with Marcus Sasser at Memphis. So you could argue that maybe Memphis should have been higher than an eight seed if you want to go there. I, I think Miami got this, you know, at the five seed. I mean, maybe they could have got to the four line. Texas A&M as a seven seed, uh, I thought was a was a little bit uh, shaky. Um, if you look at the one line, maybe you could argue that the second overall one seed should have went to Kansas over Houston uh, because of the body of work. Uh, I think, personally, Ira, I honestly think that Kansas was probably the overall one seed. They lost, and it was probably you know Houston, Alabama, and then Alabama jumped them. So I, I think Kansas should have been maybe the overall two seed. And if you look at the bracket that they're in, they're like in a bracket that's pretty crazy. Um, so maybe that will come back um, to haunt them a little bit. But besides that, you know, no really glaring things that really stuck out to me that bad. So last year we saw St. Peter's have that great run. This year, like, what do you look for in a team that says, we're going to not just win one game and pull the upset, but the multiple upsets? Like, what is, the, is it just going to be like an easy draw? Are the teams going to overlook them? Is it guard play? What are you looking for and saying, I like this team? Like, I think this is a team, I don't care what their seeding is, this is a team that can go far and pull a lot of upsets. Well, here's the thing. When you get into the mid-majors and you talk about teams that they usually, you know, let's be honest, Ira, when you talk about teams making runs in Cinderella stories, you're talking mid-majors. I mean, yeah, North Carolina was an eight seed and made it to the Final Four, but you're usually talking about double-digit seeds as these teams that make this crazy run. I think, as a coach, you have to have experience and you have to have guard play. I, I think guard play and the ability to have a guy that could make a shot um, can be one that can cause a lot of problems. So, right off the bat, when you're talking about a team that can do that, okay, Kent State, I think Kent State's going to beat Indiana. I, I, I'm, Indiana, to me, has been a flaky team all year. It's all been based on the play of Hood Shafino at the point guard spot, high pick and roll, pull up Jay. When he's not hitting a shot like he did against Penn State in the Big Ten semis, they're in trouble because then you rely on Trace Jackson Davis. And Kent State's got some great, experienced 
senior guards. Now, another one you look, look at, I'm not saying that they're going to beat them. But if I were Duke, I'm concerned about Orlov or Robert. Uh-oh. Because this, this kid, Max Aismas, if you don't know this guy, folks, go on YouTube, look this guy up. This guy did it last year as a 15 seed. He can score. He gets about 22.5 points per game. He shoots 38% from three. He's the point guard, gives you over four assists. And then when you turn around and you foul him, he makes 92% of his free throws. So now that so he's got the ball in his hands. He's a smart decision maker. He's a senior, but he also has the ability to knock down shots and make free throws as well. So I think a kid like Max Aismas, if you want to talk about a Cinderella player or a Cinderella story, maybe in this, in this tournament, Max Aismas could be that team, that kid, especially if they could beat Duke. Now, I think Duke... I like Duke's draw. I really like their draw because if they get by um, Oral Roberts, I'm not sold on Tennessee now that the point guard Ziegler is, is out for the year. I think that hurts them. I think Duke can make a serious run to the Elite Eight and maybe even make a final, final Four if Filipowski can keep playing. You saw it even versus Miami. Double-double in four of his last five, 20-plus in three of his last four. If Filipowski plays the way he played in the – ACC tournament, Duke is extremely dangerous. So we're down here in Florida, and I had uh, Dusty May, the coach of FAU, on the show last week. So excited, and they won the title. Conference USA, congratulations. So now they're a ninth seed against Memphis. What do you think about it? And then th- that 8-9 game is always the toughest thing. You play 8-9, and then you have to play the one seed after. So it's always difficult. Sometimes you want to either be like the 11 or 12 than the 8 or 9 because that gives you a better, easier second-round game to get the Sweet 16. Well, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's take a, a little bit of a talk here and talk about FAU and w- what a great job Dusty has done with this program and, and, and really done it the right way, like the slow build. You know what I'm saying? Where he didn't go to the transfer portal and all that stuff. Yeah, he got some transfers, but they got a lot of guys. Uh, John L. Davis is, is fantastic 13 half points per game, five and a half rebounds. Plays great defense, 50% shooter from the floor, 40% from three. Hello. Yeah, that guy can get a bucket, and he can score, and he can beat you off the bounce, and he's got that strong, stocky frame. You know what I'm saying, Iris? You can't kind of, like, knock him off the ball. You have Martin. I love the big man Golden inside. 10.6 points per game, 6.4 rebounds. But if you look at the scores, think about this, Ira. 13.5, 13.2. 
that style of play. Teams that push the pace because they are they plot it up the floor, get the ball inside the Zach Eady. Well, even though Florida Atlantic is 152nd in, in actual uh, pace, their offensive efficiency is really good. So they, they know how to make sure that they get high-quality shots. Memphis is 14th in the nation in pace. So when you have a team like... So you like, would say bet the over in the FAU Memphis game. Yeah, oh, yeah. They'll run, <laughs> run, run to the window now and take the over, Ira. I mean, absolutely. But when you get to the playing Purdue, the Purdue's guard play to me is suspect in regard to the fact of, of hitting outside shots. You know what I'm saying? They run their action, whether they get the ball to Evie on a, on a pin-down screen or a straight you know, down screen, seal, open up, catch, he turns, jump hook. If you could push Zach Eady more than six, seven feet outside uh, the, the lane and make him shoot a seven, eight-footer instead of a four, five uh, jump hook, he misses those a lot more than he makes. And then I don't know if they can deal with the guard pressure. I think both teams can turn up the pressure, Memphis and Florida Atlantic, because I think they have better guard play. And I always feel like when it comes to dominant bigs or dominant guards, dominant guards seem to mostly win in the tournament. And to go to a team, another team in South Florida that has great guard play is Miami. They're the fifth seed. They play uh, Drake and then then the winner of the IU-Kent State game. What do you think about the Hurricanes and Jim Laranega? Does he have another one of those crazy George Mason runs in him? Well, I think the thing that our people have to understand is, is, is I am very upset at the way that, that Jim Laranega, in, in my personal opinion, does not get the, the respect that he deserves nationally, okay? He took George Mason to the, to the Final Four. I mean, George Mason. And go look at the teams that he had to beat to go to go win that, all right? And then you look at the fact that, you know, we talked about this earlier in the phone. Everybody knows this in South Florida. I, I'm from Jersey, but I'm a huge University of Miami football fan, okay? The U, when he got there, was football first, you know, second was uh, baseball Third was the location, fourth was academics, and fifth was basketball, right? You could argue that Larry Niggas turned that into a basketball school with the way they play. And to me, it's about, we've talked about it, right? Leadership, guard play. And give me, besides Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser, a better backcourt, experienced backcourt in the country than Nigel Peck and Isaiah Wong. And I, and I will fight anybody to the death when you, I talk you don't about have to do how that. good no, that those two are. So that's good. Well, you're giving us encouragement down here in South Florida. <laughs> Before we get to the upsets, I'll tell you, you know the lines that get me all nervous, the, the line of the, mm-hmm. of the things, the eight, nine games. But it, it seems like we have the SEC Big Ten Challenge. You have Penn State versus Texas A&M, Iowa versus Auburn, Maryland now against the Big 12 school, uh, WVU, and Arkansas versus Illinois. I mean, this is like uh, the Citrus Bowl uh, of, of the games. And it just seems like these are really hard. to. Uh, the teams are so close. Is there anything that stands out? Among these seven, ten, these games, the eight and nine games. Well, let, let's first off before we get to it. I think the, the key thing with Miami is Omir, the the, the North, North, North Carolina, I think is his last name is Omir, the, the center that's getting about thirteen point six nine point seven. They got out rebounded by twelve against Duke. They got a rebound well. They got a gang rebound the ball uh, really, really well. Anthony Walker who only gets about ten point three minutes per game. He's got to help rebound to offset what's going on, and the guards have to rebound a ton. So that's 
that's uh, to finish up with Miami. But when you talk about those eight, nine games, Maryland, West Virginia, <laughs> buckle up. Kevin Willard and Huggy Bear. I mean, you want to talk about a rock fight. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a rock fight to two of them. And, and poor Alabama's going to be left, um, like, taking the, the pickings off of whoever is left out of that. But when you go to the other matches, Iowa, uh, Auburn, you know, Iowa's a team to me that plays well at home, doesn't travel well. Um, Auburn usually is not great on the road. They've been better. Bruce Pearl, I actually do uh, like Auburn uh, in that spot. Texas A&M, Penn State, to me, Texas A&M is a team I think could have argued for a six seed or even a five seed the way they played. I know they ran into Alabama, and Alabama's playing as well as anybody in the country. I do like them over Penn State because I'll be honest with you, Ira, I am not very, because I'm not Purdue, I'm just not very high on the Big Ten this season. So even when you go to uh, that 7-10 Northwestern Boise State, like I could see Boise State getting picked, uh, picking them up. I could definitely see, and I have USC actually beating Michigan State in that 10 7. <laughs> well, I have my first cousin from uh, Indiana is here. Well, Indiana graduate. He's about to to punch me, I think, about your picks. He's just very nervous about this. But anyway, we're continue along <laughs> with this. Where 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 are the upsets? I mean, it seems like I, I could give you the stats. At least one top four seed has lost in the first round in 13 of the 14 past tournaments, 32 to 37 overall. At least one number 12 seed has defeated a five seed in 32 of 37 tournaments. The problem is, which one is it going to be? I mean, so give me who you think your upsets are going to be because I, I know Mike right here is taking notes very hard, writing this all down. So what do you where do you think those upsets are going to come from? From the 12, five, the 13, four. Or even the fifteen two or sixteen one, if you think you're going to pick one. Okay, so you're you're you may want to duck. duck. The first one I like is I like Kent State to beat Indiana. Uh, I I just I just love this Kent State backward. Think about this. Ready? Kent State lost three games. Okay, three games out of league. Do you know who the three games were? Tell me. <laughs> this will scare people at Charleston. By two. At Houston, by five. At Gonzaga, by nine, I do believe. Seven. So, Charleston by two. Houston by five. And then by seven to Gonzaga, all on the road. And you're going to tell me that you think that that Indiana's not shaking in their boots with as inconsistent of a play as you have seen all year, and I'm telling you, folks, they got this backcourt over there with the Kent State Golden Flashes of Terry and Jacobs. They get 7.3 and 13 points per game, right? They shoot the ball, you know, know, decent from the floor, but they're tough. They're tough players, and I think that's an experienced team uh, when you talk about uh, uh, Terry you talk about Jacobs, uh, what are you talking about? You're talking about seniors. And that's going to be a problem. So that is one off the bat. Number two, let's go to the 5-12 games, okay? I think St. Mary's, when they saw the bracket, they were five, they are like, oh, this is great. And then they saw VCU and they said, oh, crap. That is not the team that they want to play. Because of, if you remember the old Shaka Smart BCU Rams when they made that run to the Final Four, I guess it was at 2011, 
they had what they called havoc, which is a, a uh, almost a way of people think it's like it's running gun. No, it's defensive controlled chaos. And sometimes they don't get you to turn the ball over, but they get you to play at a speed a little bit that's uncomfortable for you. And what did St. Mary show in their two losses to Gonzaga? Teams that push the pace give them problems. That's why when they played a team like Houston, they did not get blown out because Houston doesn't run the ball up the floor. BCU is dynamite defensively, one of the top 20 teams defensively in the country. They get a lot of steals. They're getting passing lanes. They get out of transition. I think BCU will pick off St. Mary's in the 12-5 game. There was one more that I had, um, an upset. I have, and I love this. I love Charleston over San Diego State. Wow. I love Charleston. I love Charleston. I watched it be me being, you know, coach at Monmouth University for, for the women for, for four years as a top assistant and then went to the CAA. I started to watch Charleston a lot more last year and this year as obviously the Monmouth man and me knowing King Wright, seeing them go into the CAA. I watched Charleston. Let me tell you something. If you have not watched Charleston, 31 and 3, you are in for an absolute treat. This team could play all different ways. They could score and they could score in bunches. And they are a team that I would say uh, is almost about the sum of their parts, meaning it's, it's more about all the guys that they have on the team. Nobody scores more than 12.3 points per game. Okay? Just like FAU. But they have, just like FAU. But six of them score between 9 and 12.3. So they can hit you in all different ways, and they score about 81 points per game. Brian Dutch has done a great job uh, at San Diego State, but he's tried to speed his team up a little bit. I think it's going to backfire. Give me Charleston in the upset. Before you go, we're having, talking to James Young, Sports Grids, Basketball Analysis. Go on his. Uh, just give me your Twitter and everything and all, all the stuff so people can follow this and our, our tweet to you, to you questions. Um, what's the best social media to get a hold of you? Yeah, pop on uh, Twitter. It's Coach Young NJ. Like, I'm from New Jersey, so Coach Young NJ. And tweet at me, send me questions, DM me. You know, I always try to answer what I can um, and try to give you – a little bit of a different take from me being in in, um, in the coaching realm. Yes, I look at spreads and odds, but I also look at style of play and, and, and other um, metrics that we use as coaches. We use something called synergy where I literally, when I watch teams, I break down tape like I'm a coach, and that's why I use it for gambling analysis. So as our go out, because we have for good, we're up against our hour, but just give me your final four. I got Alabama beating Creighton in the South. I got Kentucky over Duke in the East, UConn over TCU in the West. I think UConn takes out Kansas because I don't like Kansas' guard play. And I have Texas over Houston. I don't trust Marcus Sasser right now. He's injured with the groin. Texas beats Alabama to win the national championship. So Rodney Terry kind of becomes like the Steve Fisher of 2023. Texas versus Alabama, two SEC. Well, Texas will be an SEC school in two years, so our year, yeah. actually. So that would be exciting. Oh, my gosh. James, I'm out of breath. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you back maybe in a week or two so you can break down getting ready to the Final Four. But I really appreciate you coming on IRN Sports and, and doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ira. Anytime you want, brother, I will love to come back.
James Young here on Iron Sports. Again, follow him on Twitter at Coach Young NJ. Good stuff there from from the coach. He's he's fired up. This is uh, some professional stuff. I think we can make a little bit of money off this. Iron. I'm, I'm, I'm writing all this down that he said. So like <laughs> I'm trying to get this right because I have never do well in this. But Minute we'll or two left here on Iron Sports. Let's talk a little NBA. Looks like it might be a little too little too late for the Miami Heat. I don't know if they're going to be able to get up to the sixth seed. Looks like we're going to see a playing game. Well, they're going to be a playing game because the New York Knicks are thirty. Knicks, the Knicks are forty and thirty. They're three games ahead. The Heat are thirty six and thirty three with thirteen games left. And the Brooklyn Nets keep winning games, which everyone thought oh, they'll trade away Kyrie Durant. They're going to be terrible. They're actually staying ahead of the Knicks, which is crazy. And now Atlanta's at thirty four and thirty four. They're only one you know one and a half behind the Heat this week. They beat Atlanta. They lost to Cleveland. Beat Cleveland. Cleveland lost to Orlando, which is a bad loss. Jimmy Butler's playing. Jimmy Butler's scoring. Tyler Hero's not doing what, as, as what he need. They need Hero to start stepping up and scoring the 25, 30 points a game. This week is a weird week. They're, they play Utah right now. They're playing Utah. That should be a win. They cannot afford to lose that. They played Memphis on Wednesday. That should be a win also. There's no uh, Java Rand. So they should win that. They have injuries. And then they're at Chicago, which is not a good team. And they're at Detroit. This should be a four. If this is not a three and one week, if they're two and two, they're in trouble. And, and again, that there's trouble more than the fact of that 7-8. Remember, if they're in a 7 or 8 seed, that means they have to play 7 plays 8, 9 plays 10. If they lose the 7-8 game, then they have to play the 9-10 winner, and then they could be out in two games for the playoffs. And, the, you know, we could be done in April for the playoffs. Yeah, a team that had uh, aspirations of the of the championship game, yes. you know, might, might be finding themselves not inside the main tournament. You buying into the Knicks yet, Ira? I'm not buying into them, but the Knicks are uh, the Knicks are exciting. Now they play next Wednesday here in uh, in Miami, so that's another game. You know, they were back there a couple weeks ago, so I'm not buying into them. Brunson's injured, has been out. I hope he doesn't play this week. I'm playing with fantasy, but we'll see. <laughs> but um, but w- no, I, I'm not. I think the Sixers are starting to play well. You got Boston and you got Milwaukee. I just think the Knicks they need one more year, but it would be great. They, they're gonna. It's gonna be fun. I I can't wait for the NBA playoffs. I wish you just start right now. So what are you up to this week? I got so lucky because Duke is in Orlando. So I don't have to fly to Greenville or fly anywhere else. So I can go to Orlando Thursday and Saturday for the games. And then if they win that, then they'll be in New York, which is like perfect at Madison Square Garden. And how about he mentioned, we, James mentioned, what could you imagine? Duke, Kentucky? Elite, you know, Elite Eight. That'd be amazing. I mean, bring back Coach K and Patino and everything to play that game. Christian Leitner hitting the shot. So very excited. But so Thursday and Saturday, and I might get a spring training game in or something. We'll figure out something. But definitely Thursday, Saturday, NCAA basketball. We are out of time. Thanks so much to James Young. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.